Hey, Mr. Sean, how you doing, bro? All right, we, we, we're back again. We're back again. We're making the most of this trip to Houston. So I want to get right into it. Okay. A lot of women mm -hmm. are saying this. They're saying, hey, I stayed down with my man for five or more years. Okay. And really a lot of them had done that concerning men who were incarcerated at least 10 years flat. Okay. And they said when they come out, they think that I'm supposed to look mm -hmm. the way I used to look, even though I've been visiting them the whole time. I've been putting money on their books mm -hmm. the whole time. And so a lot of the ladies are like, well, it seems like I'm not good enough mm -hmm. when he comes out, but I was good enough to support it. Mm -hmm. And on the women's side, quite a few women are saying, hey, listen, I was with a man before I was incarcerated, but it seems like he's changed since I've gotten released. But we were communicating, but the version I'm seeing now is not the version I was getting during my incarceration. Mm -hmm. What do you have to say about that? So one of the things is, you know, that's an unfortunate thing that we have. Women standing by men and men standing <coughs> by women. And when they exit the penal institution, the relationship doesn't go in the direction that he or she anticipated it going in. So from personal experience, one of the things that I realized is that when you're in prison and that woman is coming to that visitation room, she can only give you two hours of herself. And then that individual hug, kiss, brave, embrace, and they go back to the designated area. So what happens is, is that once an individual is released from prison, the horizon of choices is expanded. And so it's no different than a woman looking at Facebook, looking at TikTok, looking at Instagram videos and comparing herself against someone else who's in the gym or maybe physically fit, et cetera, et cetera. So when this man comes out of the penal institution after five, 10, 15, 20 years, he's exposed to a lot more. So during those years of coming to the visitation room, she was the only thing that he was being exposed to. And so one of the, the things that men uh, wrestle with the most while they're in prison is being alone. And so here it is, you have a woman that's sending you money, coming to visit you, etc., And you fall in love with that because you're at your most vulnerable point. You know, uh, everything from society has been stripped away from you to where you're not even known by your first name anymore. Everything about you from that point forward is last name, TDC number. So your whole identity has been stripped. And so here it is, I'm holding on to this one piece that I had either prior incarceration or that I met along my journey. And so one of the things that I would recommend is that really know your spouse. Whenever you have someone who is exiting the penal institution, I would say, give them some time, whether it's a male or a female, give them some, some time to kind of unpack. And the reality of it is that it's not gonna look like what it looked like while they was in prison. And so when you, when you say that, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna act like we're, we're in the barbershop. Okay. And I would have these conversations because I'm not married. I wasn't married during my incarceration, but a lot of my friends were involved or married. And so my thing would always be, what is the content 
of the conversations. Everything you said mm -hmm. is right, mm -hmm. but a lot of times the men who get the visits mm -hmm. the most, mm -hmm. the conversations with their wives or baby mamas or potential mates mm -hmm. are really surface level. Absolutely. Meaning there's no, what are your dreams outside of me? Mm -hmm. And well, I want to be a truck driver and I want to own a business or I want to be an entrepreneur. Those are the types of conversations that I believe that if they were delved off into more mm -hmm. than the woman and the man would see, we're not a really good fit. Mm -hmm. Or if we actually discuss body types, meaning you see her. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the men. If you know this is not your body type, mm -hmm. then you need to have these type of conversations because I, I've sat in the barbershop and I'm like, man, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with her. And it's like, bro, when I saw her visitation, she looks nothing like mm -hmm. what you describe or watch on the TV. Mm -hmm. Have you had this conversation with her? Mm -hmm. And most of them don't because just what you said. So my, my, my counsel is to anybody watching if you are having a relationship or beginning a relationship, use those conversations, use those JPEGs, use those phone calls to really speak about mm -hmm. what you want in life. And for the man who's sitting out there, I'm not talking to you to just, you hustling. You just, man, as long as she break me off, I'm okay with it. I'm speaking for men who truly say, this woman or my baby's mama or this other woman that I met since I've been incarcerated, if you begin to really ask her what she really likes about you beyond what she can see. But you have to be willing to have those type of conversations. And, and it, the problem is, okay. is that the woman doesn't really want to have those conversations and the man doesn't want to have that conversation. So what happens is, is that the man and woman, they romance this character that really don't exist because men are at a vulnerable state true enough and he's longing for the companionship but is he willing to unpack some of his fears and is she willing to unpack some of her fears and these are taboo conversations that never be uh, discussed and as a result of that you can't grow from that place so what happens is is that She's presenting to him her representative, and he's presenting to her his representative. And I totally agree, but the reason we're holding this conversation mm -hmm. is if you are a young or middle-aged or older male, and you're really looking to continue the relationship that you already had before incarceration, that you began during incarceration, or you're considering having a relationship with a woman while you're incarcerated, yeah. the first thing we're saying is to be successful, mm -hmm. you're going to have to have conversations that are uncomfortable mm -hmm. for you. Absolutely. And she's going to have to have conversations that's uncomfortable for her. And we're only offering this as a standard or a bar mm -hmm. to help you figure out is she the one or even to be honest with self and determine man is this really the woman 
for me. So that's just, just, just a little topic. And the thing is, 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 are you ready for that? Do you really want a relationship with someone who's incarcerated? Because how many women have stuck by a man while he was incarcerated and then he gets out and then the, the, the dynamics of the relationship change because why? She wasn't aware of what we know to be post-incarceration syndrome. Are you willing to help him unpack five years, 10 years, 20 years of trauma that he's had to absorb just to make it through? So your lack of him being emotional with you or physical with you or transparent with you is a result of his adaptive mechanism that he had to develop while he was incarcerated in order to make it through. And so as a result of that, that's not gonna be unpacked easy. And to be honest with you, if he's been away for a long time, he doesn't know how to love a woman because he was probably a teen or in his early 20s when he entered into the relationship to begin with, if they had a relationship prior to prison or he went into prison as a young man. So therefore, does he know how to pay bills? Does he know how to budget? So a lot of the things that you're looking for him to do when he comes home to be that provider, to be that protector, to be that emotional support, you're asking something from him that he doesn't even possess. It's the same equivalent as trying to go to the bank and withdraw a million dollars from your bank account and you got insufficient funds. And so a lot of women have these expectations. A lot of men have these expectations of how a relationship is supposed to work pre-incarceration, while incarcerated, and then they have in their, their mind this facade or this, this mirage that this is what it's gonna be like. No one ever thinks about the struggles that come along with relationships. We just look for the White House with the picket fence and all our bills are paid, but unfortunately, that's not reality. And so we as men and women who are dealing with incarcerated, incarcerated spouses must be, be willing to dig into some real issues. You know, what are you expecting for him to be? when he come home. And when you share that with him transparently, how he responds to that is gonna tell you if you can make it or not, vice versa. That man has to understand, what is she doing when she walks away from that visitation room? Because women have needs too, just like men have needs. So he's been gone 10 years, but you said you've been holding it down. What about that? Mm, mm. Well, let's, to the best of our ability <laughs> as two men, let's try to look at it from the standpoint of incarcerated women who are dealing with their male counterparts mm -hmm. outside. And the only thing that I would open up that subject with is the fact that from my conversations with formerly incarcerated women, from my conversations with incarcerated women, one of the things that has stood out to me is that there are quite a few women, not saying all, but quite a few women who have taken the lead mm -hmm. from a man as far as how they are valued. And I can tell you going into high schools, one of the biggest deals in some of the most violent high schools in Austin mm -hmm. is the fact that young ladies are like, she thinks she's better than me. But the young ladies that are saying that mm -hmm. are lacking fathers, are lacking boyfriends who are telling them 
why they are valuable. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying adding value, they're already valuable, but, but, but helping them to see outside of themselves. And so, ladies, I'm, I'm just encouraging you that whatever relationship you're in or you're, you're, you're planning on being in, know that your value and your self-worth should not be found in a man. And if mm -hmm. it is, or if you have a question when you hear that statement, am I like that? You really need to get to the bottom of that because there's Houston if you want to get it. No, Dr. Spaz Okay. And say, if you're doing that, know that God fearfully and wonderfully made you. Mm -hmm. And these are my words. I don't believe that I can look at any woman and truly understand the depth of thought, the purpose completely that God formed this woman from. And you say, what are you saying, Oliver? I'm saying that any man that you're running into mm -hmm. that says that he knows your value, but he does not know God, I question how can he? Mm -hmm. That's right. And <clears throat> that goes with him too. Uh, one of the mistakes that a lot of guys make is that they feel like that every woman that passes by their runway is their potential wife. And one of the things that I have learned in my maturity and counseling men is that every woman that comes into your life is not your potential helpmate. She's not your potential wife. We have a bunch of broken women that need a father figure. They need a brother. They need a friend, someone that can help mend the trauma that they went through in their journey because a lot of them don't know what their worth is. And a lot of men do not know their own value because if they knew their own value, then they wouldn't be just sleeping with anybody or engaging with anybody. Why? Because you know who you are. And so when a man knows who he is, then he can't help but to know who a woman is. So these conversations, once again, on Tank Radio, on this show, Outside In, are built for conversations like this to cause you to think, and not that we have it all together, but these are conversations where we start the thinking process to bring out some discussions that aren't normally taking place, and especially on these tablets, we're trying to get you ready. We're trying to get you ready. So let's switch gear. So, you know, one, let's transition a little bit. I know that you've been out and you're a very good teacher. So I know that you've been able to build some curriculums okay. since you've been home. And so uh, I applaud you for that, being able to take the experience of your incarceration and put it in layman's terms to be a subject that can be taught in high schools, in jails, and also in prison. So I applaud you for that. So I just want to kind of backtrack. Did you see yourself when you were in Texas Department of Criminal Justice building a curriculum to prevent and or help those who are in the prison system now? No, I did not. Okay. And, and that's a good thing. And and that's one of the things, that's not, that's not a bad thing because the reason why I ask that question often when I go into the penal institution or when I'm dealing with men and women, because when we're in prison, you know, the scripture tells us to write our vision down, and though it tarry, it shall come to pass. And so a lot of times we literally take the, the idea of writing our plans down. And then when we come home, 
our plans do not manifest as we expected to. And unfortunately, that creates a U-turn for a lot of men and women, and they go back to the familiar because they say, I tried, but your trying did not give it time because the scripture specifically says, though it tarries. And so uh, one of the things that I want to ask is, how has that been going for you as far as your uh, curriculum that you've been teaching? And just kind of outline what type of curriculum that you have created and what are they being used for and where they're being used. Okay. The first curriculum I created is called STOP. Okay. And that is an acronym for Stand, Think, Options, Proceed. Okay. And I have created that for juvenile diversionary programming, meaning juveniles who go to courts for different things like not showing up for school or a small case of drugs or some type of vandalism. My class is built to help them make better decisions. Okay. The second curriculum that I created is also called STOP, but I teach it inside of prisons and or jails. And it's a decision-making course too, but it is suited with different examples. I'll give you an example. Okay. Like I have a picture in their mail call. Okay. And I give the example that during mail call, if you're on a block where there's like 50 cells and the man is calling out mail, it's like one, five, 15, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And you go through that every day, the particular aspects of stop that I've built specifically for penal institutions and jails are how can you make better decisions here that are either going to help you be successful as you're serving time, mm -hmm. that are going to translate into you doing something when you leave, or if you're here with a life sentence or a capital life sentence, or you don't know when you're going to get out based upon what the state is giving you and based upon unless God steps in and does a miracle, mm -hmm. how can you make and what decisions can you make right where you're at that can lead to not only success for you, but to those around you. Mm -hmm. And the final curriculum that I created is called Take Two, and it's for individuals who are getting ready to get out, and it can be taken either right before they are released or soon after, and it covers basically from right before you get out, preparations that you can make, to the first week you are out, at least through six months. Okay. And the reason that I wrote that, I didn't get it from a book. There are a lot of things online that try to help people understand how to reintegrate into society, but they're not put in a language and the examples that are given are not relevant. I'll give you an example. If I told the average man, listen, you're going to get out of prison Monday and I've got a job for you making $12. Mm -hmm. What if this man stole, robbed, sold drugs, did something else, and he's never made just $12? That sounds thrown off to him, but if I give him a little more information, listen, one of your stipulations is you need to have a job. Now, if you take this $12 job and you say you're so smart, you say you're so bright. She says she's so smart. She says she's so bright. Mm -hmm. If you take this, this is not accepting less. This is a beginning. And where you begin, that's not going to define where you end up. But a lot of people have such large plans mm -hmm. and won't settle for less that they never get started. And so I just work through these things one step at a time mm -hmm. from checking accounts to first vehicle to home ownership to investing and that's good you know one of the things that uh we have our plans and and we outline our plans and and 
want the house, we want the car, we want the good job that's paying 20, 25, $30 an hour. Even some people want to start their own businesses right out of the gate of prison. And unfortunately, as I said before, it doesn't go like that. So what I've learned to do in my reintegration back into society and making the steps that is necessary is that I learned this, that the crumbs and the cake has the same ingredients. So what that means is that I may have to take the $12 an hour job. I may have to drive the hoopty where I have to keep one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas at the same time when I get to the light. I may have to go to a thrift store to get my clothes. I may have to live with someone for one year, two years, three years, four years, up to five years, maybe and beyond that. That's the crumbs, but the ultimate goal is to get the cake. But if you do these little bitty old steps like is outlined in your curriculum, is that you can get to the place. And for me, I had to realize this, is that everyone out here who has their car, has their children, has their marriage, has their house, has the good job, I put it in the metaphor of being on the racetrack. The gun has already been shot 28 years ago. Everybody else out here, they're around the curve. They're lapping me, but they're supposed to because I've been out of position. And so they can't be my plumb line what I measure myself up against because that's very easy out here. You have social media and you have friends who seem to have everything together and it's so easy to find yourself measuring yourself up against them when the reality is they are supposed to have all that. You've been gone almost 30 years. They're supposed to have a house almost paid off. They're supposed to have children in college, et cetera. So I applaud you for the fact that you or you have created a curriculum to kind of just make them slow down. And that's the main thing. When you get out, you can't, you hear a lot of people, I'm going to hit the ground running. Well, if you hit the ground running, you're going to run into a brick wall. And what's going to happen when you hit that brick wall? And something I want to say, because what happens when conversations like these are held, somebody's listening. Well, that's not me. If it's not you and you get out and you have the support or what you wrote down in your plan or your vision, it goes great. We applaud you. Amen. But is the minority the majority? Mm -hmm. And so we're just trying to have a conversation where if there's somebody not like you, Mm -hmm. who doesn't have all the support, who doesn't have all the plans, or if their plans don't go exactly the way they think they should go, we're trying to provide a conversation right now for them to have not only with you, mm -hmm. but with themselves mm -hmm. and with God, of course, to just be prepared because it's better to be prepared and something arises mm -hmm. and you, you're equipped to handle it mm -hmm. than to do what Yancey says, which is running to a brick wall. wall. And you, you find yourself flat on your face. And for those people who have gotten a vocation, mm -hmm. have gotten a college degrees, that doesn't make you any better than the people that are around you. Now, what that does do, it makes you better prepared because now you have some type of accolades or you have some type of vocational training that whenever you do come out here and you fill out an application, you're able to apply what you invested in yourself while you was incarcerated. And that's my biggest thing. Make sure that you are investing, investing, investing in yourself. The TV is going to come on. The dominoes is going to be there. The scramble, all that's going to be there. But at the end of the time, do not allow yourself to waste time. 
because when you get out of here, a lot of those things that you have the opportunity to do right now, you won't have that time out there. Most of the people who are watching this video, I can guarantee you without within the seven days, they've been able to take a nap. When the last time you took a nap? That's, <laughs> um, not, that's not reality out here. Right. You know, I can't get up and watch Wheel of Fortune at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I'm gonna watch Young and the Wrestlers all the way to three o'clock and then all the stories go off and the news come on and then at six o'clock I'm gonna watch my program, et cetera, et cetera. So now let's pivot a little bit okay. and we went with the Let, let me say this before I forget. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Big Blake and Anthony Mignoma over there on the stale unit. Yes, sir. Mignoma, congratulations on making parole. Blake, hold it down. You're going to be home soon. Yes, sir. Don't give up. Keep fighting. So the, the, the thing that I want to kind of pivot to now, so you, you you done your 28 years, 10 months, and how many days? 27 years, 10 months, 16 days. Okay. See, I don't ride up because I, I didn't know. I got out. Another testimony. I got out a few months before where I was at, thought I would. Hey, Amen. Okay. So I don't want to add that. You don't want to add that. No, okay, so no. it was 27 years, and so now you didn't see your yourself there while you were incarcerated. Mm -hmm. You got out. You writing curriculums, mm -hmm. but then kind of like reflect back that it is something that you had done while you were incarcerated mm -hmm. that has had the opportunity to materialize since you've been home. So share that with us. I wrote a book. A book? A book okay. called The Servant's Trade. You've okay. already heard about that. Okay. But something that is more up-to-date about a servant's trade, I've been blessed to attend some different churches out here where something I never expected, somebody will introduce me to the pastor and we'll be talking and they'll find out about the book and they'll support me, whether it's through purchasing the book or actually, hey, come on up here and tell my congregation about mm -hmm. the book. And one reason I'm very proud to present the book because it helps people understand the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so everywhere where I've been afforded an opportunity to present the book of Servants Trey, I do it with confidence and assurance, knowing that helping someone to understand the Bible and live it in everyday life. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And I'll do that all day, all my life long. And it, that's something I didn't expect because when I wrote the book, I was like, man, I don't know how I'm gonna get it in people's hands. And mm -hmm. pastors have been very helpful. Doesn't and, mean and, and it's funny that you were incarcerated right. and wrote a book about helping people better understand the Bible. Yeah. And the Bible that was our instructions for life and that we've learned the majority of the new testament was wrote from where prison a prison and so here it is you have the service tray and then here it is paul and patmos and some of the darkest prisons that we will ever know maybe that never get okay. a chance okay. here it is. Talk about that. yeah so here it is is you know from a dark place and that, that's my biggest thing is that prison is a dark place but it's got potential there the, the the graveyard, a lot of men die before their time and it's the wealthiest place. Why? Because a lot of men, a lot of women didn't tap into their potential. Gold is discovered where? In a dark place. Diamonds is discovered where? In a dark place. Children are made in what? A dark place. So what am I saying? I'm saying right there where you sit in a dark place, in a penal institution, there's potential in you that you can write down 
what you're going through right now and use it to educate the people out here. Because guess what? Oliver had 27 years to study the Bible. Albert had 27 years to study the Bible, but the majority of people out here hadn't had that type of time. If you ask them to name you 10 scriptures, they can probably only give you Psalm 23 and John 3.16 because they haven't had the opportunity to study the Bible. So to be able to write a book while you're incarcerated, to put on the, the mantle of, hey, I have to simplify this for the people who are my audience, regardless of if it was a congregation out here or was the congregation that you were preaching to while you were incarcerated. The, the, end, the end result of both of them is that we want to touch lives and we want to introduce people to Jesus Christ. Shout out. We don't know where you're at, but Isaac Haffer, who, watch this, the first five years I was, I was doing my Bible study, mm -hmm. all I would do is get it from the Lord, write it on the whiteboard, and one day Ronald Arsenal, mm -hmm. he says, say, let me get them notes from about two years ago. I said, man, I don't have no notes, man, I got it. I wrote it down, I wrote it on the board, and then I erased it, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Ronald Arsenal put it on my mind. So you taught a Bible study for five years and don't have the notes. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it just pow, hit me and I was like, oh man, mm -hmm. Isaac, do me a favor. Help me write down these notes, these next, and it ended up being 10 years mm -hmm. that, and out of these notes, a lot of times I'm able to pull some things that it took me hours upon hours mm -hmm. to study. So that, that was a good analogy. Uh, and uh, I mean, what I tell you today, one of the t-shirts that I want to have made. Well, if you tell me the t-shirt, everybody, everybody on the topic, gonna, gonna we, know we, we're not going to tell it to him. Oh, okay, I wanted to know. He, yeah. he has a copyright. Yeah, I have a copyright, so I can't expose it to you. But one of the things is, is that I feel like that when we exit this place, everything that God has given us the ability to do, we need to do it, regardless of where you're at. Well, enjoyed you guys today. In closing, want to continue to reiterate to you, decisions like doors lead to places. Six words. That's why I did that. I'm trying to help you get this. Mm -hmm. Decisions like doors lead to places. Have a great day. God bless you.